think we're off topic for the question, though. What was the question? Today is Monday, December 14th, 2020, time for episode 133 of the Barnhart Podcast. I had to look up the number again right before we started because I knew that uh, I knew the next one wasn't 130, even though in my notebook last one was 129. So uh, an active and busy week last week after uh, a couple of slow weeks. Yeah, this is this is world record amazing pace here. What is this? The fourth podcast in a week? <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> I was chatting with someone uh, earlier today and said and mentioned that I was recording um, another podcast today and and made the made the very sarcastic remark that it's it's too bad that nothing is happening and there's nothing to talk about. <laughs> so <laughs> and interestingly, every podcast is a completely different wheelhouse, which that makes me happy. I mean, obviously not just recording the same rants over and over and over again in a week's time. We had the Nurse Claire and Dr. Beep show. We had um, Dr. Luca um, Geely. We had, um, what's the last one? We, oh, Mark and Dr. Matza, of course. Yeah, non-Vinny Matza. Non-Vinny Matza. And then this, and then so I guess five ago is the last time when we did, when we did one, you and I. So, oh man, this is turning into uh, who goes this frequently? Do, how how often does no agenda go? Uh, twice a week. Twice a week. Okay, and Rogan. Um, I don't know how many times a week they they publish something, but if he's on the same cadence that he used to do, he'll do two or three in a day, and then two or three days like that during the week. But uh, No Agenda might, is twice a week, but then Adam Curry does like three other podcasts, and plus he's guests on other ones. So he's he's pretty busy. Yeah. I always used to marvel at just, you know, like Limbaugh and the traditional, you know, broadcast radio model. But I mean, Limbaugh goes three hours a day, five days a week, or at least used to. Um, and I always thought, man, how, how could you even begin to do something like that? And well, <laughs> now I know. <laughs> and once upon a time, he had a, a, a TV studio show at night, too. Yeah, that's right. You know, the, the, his TV show was actually really good. It was on when I was at K-State, when I was in college, 90, 95, 96 in that time frame. And uh, I, I, I was always mystified why why that got canceled, because it was that was a good half hour of television. It was entertaining. It was informative. I don't know, but <laughs> I, I'm sure corruption had absolutely nothing to do with it. We'll put it to you that way. <laughs> yep, yep. So as as a lot of you noticed, uh, put out I put out a, a brief little blog post on Anne's blog, what I call the ephemeral blog post, uh, mentioning that we're going to be recording a, a Ask Anne ad, Advent Ask Anne episode, and uh, send in some questions. I got quite a few, so I had to, I had to uh, delete that post by three this afternoon because there were just a lot of questions coming in. And in fact, there's there's for the, for the sake of this show, I didn't ask you before we started what the target uh, time is on this, but I know we have enough questions for like eight or nine hours, and there's no okay. way <laughs> no way we're going to do that tonight. Um, and that's, that's well, not- I have to I have to go to mass, and then the landlord's coming for the rent, so we're we're probably going to have to hold it to. Let me check the time here. And we'll have to hold it to six. We'll have to hold it to six hours. Right. And um, let's see, starting tomorrow morning through the following Tuesday, I'll be on call for work, so I can't record. Uh, but I, I think we have more than enough content here that uh, I think we can probably get a couple of, at least one, maybe two in the can episodes uh, for when, when we have a, a gap come up that we didn't expect. So Okay. All right. Um, unlike this one, we won't know what the, the show numbers are on that one, but uh, let's see. Um 
this this comes up. I think it's come up. It's a popular topic every time we do an Ask Ann, although we haven't done one in a while. Mm-hmm. The number one question was, uh, what was Ann's spiritual life prior to becoming Catholic? And I replied to to those emails with the links to the uh, the two episodes we did on that two years ago, the spiritual journey of Ann Barnhart, part one, part two. Mm-hmm. And and I, I told those folks that if you have any questions that weren't answered by those, let me know, and I'll I'll uh, ask you at some other point. But I'll include those. I'll include the links to those in the show notes because that was the the most common question that came up. Uh, and and the past has not changed, although people are trying to tell you apparently now that the past can change, but it has not. So those episodes are still one hundred percent true and solid. So by all means, if whatever I said two years ago is pretty much exactly the same thing I'd say today, so it's all good. Uh, one other I wouldn't I wanted to mention, but I wasn't going to ask Ann. Uh, somebody asked or wrote in asking if I was aware of, well, if, if we are aware of something called an apostolic pardon. I forwarded that question to a priest because I'm curious if, if this is the same thing under a different name as apostolic blessing. Uh, I am familiar with that. It's a blessing you, you can receive right before uh, dying. Usually it's, it's the last rites and apostolic blessing, and it comes with a plenary indulgence at the point of death. Um, I don't Are know you, you sure? I thought the apostolic blessing was just the, uh, the papal blessing, which you could request at any time. And like what, what, Pope Benedict the uh, 16th, the Vicar of Christ gloriously reigning, still does in writing. He says, I bless you with my apostolic blessing. I always thought the apostolic pardon was what uh, the dying received. You know, I like somebody who, who's, what's the example? Some cleric died not too long ago, and I was notified that it was that he received the apostolic pardon on his deathbed. And so that was a tremendous consolation to to everyone. I can't remember who it was though right now. Anyway, is does that confirm what you found out? No, I haven't heard back yet. Um, maybe I'm the one who has the term wrong and apostolic pardon is the right name. But yeah, it's it's a blessing that carries an, a um, plenary indulgence um, basically at the point of death. Yeah. But uh, when, when I get a definitive answer back on that, I'll, we can bring it up later. Sorry for this brief interruption, but this is Super Nerd checking in from a different place in the space-time continuum. That priest I said that I sent an email asking about apostolic pardon versus apostolic blessing? Yeah, that was Father Z, and he answered by posting a blog post. So I will link to that in the show notes. Okay, back to the podcast. And we're going to be talking a little bit later about a topic of um, the apotheosis of evil and destroying all that is good and beautiful. And I want to put a, a, a plug in for a, a new website um, a listener to the show created, and and um, it's called St. Luke's Gallery. And it's it's kind of in the same vein where, or I should say, a similar vein of uh, Dr. Mazza is teaching about world history, but, but this person is teaching about sacred art. Mm. And and uh, it's a very visual experience as well. So instead of just being a podcast, it, it for the moment it's it's uh, on YouTube, and he's he's keeping copies of all his videos just in case for some reason they look askance at at his um, at what he's doing. But it's it's just straight up art appreciation, and and um, it, it's it's a it's a nice slice of of truth, beauty, and goodness that uh, is is all too lacking in, in modern media even even among sometimes among tried Catholic media it's like sometimes we just need to appreciate <laughs> the great things that we have and yeah. we have such a rich tradition uh, of uh, sacred art so that I, I'm really looking forward to um, I think he said the second one is now out and uh, I look forward to, to learning from this one this that, this is the kind of show that's like right up my alley I love this kind of stuff 
Well, that kind of reminds me of something. Another, a question that I get in my email box, not infrequently, is where do you find all those amazing works of art, those pictures that you put on your blog? And guys, it's it's not difficult. Use use a search engine and, you know, just be be savvy about what you type in. If you're looking for a specific, um, you know, biblical scenario or, or a specific saint or anything like that, just type that in and then painting or art or something like that. And if, if you if you know the name of an artist roughly or, or an artist who's in the same um, genre that you're looking for, for example, if you're looking for um, the the Embrace of the Golden Gate by Giotto, well, just, you know, type in Golden Gate Giotto, G-I-O-T-T-O, and boom, it all comes up. And usually it's in many different formats, um, details, like if you want to zoom in on one aspect of a very large painting, but you're, you you really want to draw people's attention to just one thing, um, there are always details um, that are already, already on the internet. And you just, you know, click on that and then right click and save picture as, and it goes on your desktop and there you go. I mean, I, I don't have any special website I go to, database, nothing. It's just the use of, of doing image searches on a search engine. That's it. And to that point, I would, I would say that if you're looking for a particular type of picture or even a particular uh, image in, in particular, I just said that twice, um, don't forget Bing, which, you know, Bing is not Google. It's not what it stands mm-hmm. for, even though that's the joke. Um, Bing image search has features that Google doesn't simply because Google keeps getting their chops busted over facilitating copyright violations. So they've, they've defeatured some of the image search on, on their image portion. Uh, so checking out Bing when you're looking for something and can't find it on Google can actually work quite well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the most mundane example I came across recently was finding a chart of the Star Wars galaxy. And and uh, <laughs> the stuff on, on Google was actually quite scrubbed compared to what you can find on Bing. It, it was it was quite impressive. It, I know it's a bizarre, weird reference, but it, it, it's something that uh, you know Disney doesn't screw around when it comes to copyright enforcement. So it's probably why Bing got away with that. Uh, the other thing I would say also is if you see a piece of art and you'd like to know what the name of it is and, and research, you know, who painted it and all the rest, you can go the other way around, take a picture of it with your phone. You can upload the picture or take a picture with any anything that take a photo and then upload that through your computer. Google image search, you can upload a photo and then it says, OK, what is this? And then um, you, you find the answer that way. So, uh-huh. so you can use the. Um, you can use the the search engine as a way to say who tell me more about this painting who or this 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 image who created it what what year etc. Right. It's a couple of the few good things we can get out of technology. Yep. Okay. Um, let's get to some of the questions that came in. Um, okay. I like this one. And based on your knowledge of Catholic prophecy, what do we have to for- look forward to? The beatific vision. <laughs> that's all <laughs> that's all <laughs> no we have we have again i keep i'm gonna keep giving this pep talk because you know you really don't hear this very often i was thinking the other day about um how pope uh leo the 13th had his um i don't think it was a vision because i i think he only heard it was so what would that be called an awe audition. I don't think that's what that, I don't think that's, that's a word, but he heard this whole conversation between Satan and our Lord. Um, I think he had just finished 
saying mass. And, you know, he could hear our Lord's voice coming from the tabernacle and he could hear Satan, wherever Satan was lurking about. And they have this conversation and Satan says, you know, give me a hundred years and I'll, I'll destroy your entire church. And our Lord says, all right, <laughs> which is kind of, <laughs> which you have to have a sense of humor about these things. Sometimes it, it always, it always kind of makes me laugh. But then you think about it and you say, why would our Lord say to Satan, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead and try. <laughs> what, and you say, why in the world would our Lord say that? Well, why would he say that to Satan with regard to Job? Right. But, but then, you know, saying it with regards to to his holy church, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of an amazing, um, it's an amazing exchange, to put it mildly. And I just kept thinking about, you know, how everybody's complaining and this is so horrible and why is God doing this? And God's a jerk and God's given us up and this isn't what I signed up for. And I'm just so disappointed in God. He so let me down and the church is a complete disaster and I hate it and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you're hearing trad Catholic pundits talk like this basically all day, every day on social media. Um, and what occurred to me is that when our Lord said back to Satan, well, go ahead and try, go ahead and try. In the mind of God, God is thinking, it's cool because the assets are already in place. My assets are already in place. What does that mean? That means, and I'm, I'm going to work off the assumption that we are right now in the midst of a, an epical situation, which I think probably everyone listening agrees by at this point that we are. Um, and that, and that, especially since um, there was a time frame assigned to this, which is you know roughly a hundred years or so, um, that when God said, "Go ahead and try," He's thinking the assets are already in place. If He's talking about us today, then that means that uh, you know a hundred and some odd years ago, when the when the vision of um, of Pope Leo the Thirteenth occurred, that he was talking about the people today who are going to be instrumental in this and who are going to have be given this incredible opportunity to be saints, to be tremendous saints. And so, in terms of people today, you're talking about their great great grandparents, their great 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 grandparents. Those people were on the ground. Those assets were in place. And of course, the mind of God, obviously, he knows how he's outside of time. So he knows how all of this is going to play out. The assets were already in place. The people were on the ground who were going to marry, have children. And then those people marry these people and they have children. And those people marry these people. You know, just like in scripture, how, what is the, it's the gospel of Matthew that opens with the genealogies, right? You know, the 14 generations and then the, the, middle 14 generations, and then the final 14 generations getting from Adam to our Lord. Um, you know, the, the church and, and God are, are big on genealogy and the, this movement through time of humanity um, in terms of reproduction and, um, and bloodlines and lineages and so forth. And you just kind of stop and think about that if, if this is it, 
And this is the, the coming to fruition of this epical um, battle that our Lord told Satan, you know, go ahead and try. And our Lord is saying, it's, it's going to work out, not only because I'm God and it's going to work out, but because the assets are in place that, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to use the first person plural pr- pronoun here and flatter myself, but that our great, great grandparents, our great, great, great grandparents were on the ground and everything was set up for us to end up as we are here right now. Um, just always contemplate things like that about how in control God is. And, and also, I, I know that there are people who are just people who've lost their businesses and people are, people are terrified. I understand this, but you also have to understand that the end of man is not to be successful in business. <laughs> the end of man is to achieve the beatific vision and then within the framework of that, to be as close to God as possible, to be the, the highest and best saint that, that you can possibly be in the beatific vision. Um, and so we are here now being given an opportunity that is just, that I, I'm going to go ahead and say is unprecedented in human history, the opportunity that every single one of us alive right now has to to advance in sanctity. And it, it might end up, and I fully expect that a lot of us are going to end up dead and d- dead unnaturally because we've been warned about this. It's been prophesied. Our lady has said, um, and it's all throughout scripture that, you know, at, at the end, the good and the bad are going to be killed in this, in this horrible, horrible final war and conflagration. Th- that's not, anything to be completely thrown into into paralysis of fear by it's um i mean <laughs> go to mass every day you know every other day the the mass is the feast of of a martyr i mean really i mean we can't, we can't we cannot comprehend that everything that happened to these people over the past 2000 years exactly the same things could happen to us and probably are going to happen to us, and it's been explicitly prof- prophesied, are probably going to happen to us, and probably happen to us sooner rather than later. Um, why it is that people are so taken aback by this and so frightened? Um, these are not fictional fairy tale stories. All of this stuff is real. It happened. Um, that's another. That's another thing that I learned after after my unfortunate sojourn to Rome, is you start running with some of those trad intellectuals who are, shall we say, <coughs> confirmed bachelors. And I think all the listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. And one of the hallmarks is when you, you know they start talking, they start denying that a lot of the saints even existed, certainly before a certain line. Everything in the golden legend, that's all fictional. Everything's made up. You know, St. Philomena didn't exist. All these, you know, Roman martyr saints, none of these people actually existed, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, they think that they're intellectual and they're so smart and they're so above it all. Oh, and by the way, we totally believe in evolution. And anyone who doesn't believe in evolution is an idiot. Um, half of them believe in space aliens and anyone who doesn't believe in space aliens is just an idiot. And you, you start seeing these things and these red flags start going up. 
And you say, oh, okay. But the one that's germane to this is denying the existence of the saints. Um, and it, interestingly, a lot of the ones that they deny even having existed are the ones who died as tremendous martyrs. And, you know, isn't, isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient that, that people who are um, operating as tools of the enemy, even, even if it's unwittingly, they're trying constantly to um, minimize and get people to deny even the existence of martyrdom, that anything un unpleasant could come out of this, that anyone could be asked to do anything that was unpleasant. And again, beating my drum about effeminacy, what is the actual definition of effeminacy? It's not being swishy, feminine, gay man. That is not what effeminacy is. Effeminacy is is a vice and it's it transcends sex men and women can both be effeminate and it's not good it's not good for women to be effeminate effeminacy is the vice of not wanting to do something because it could reduce your personal pleasure or comfort in life that is what effeminacy is sloth is related sloth is not wanting to do something because it's difficult um, a feminacy is not wanting to do something just because, you know, you, you might not be able to live the life of Riley anymore, or you might have to give up this, that, or the other. You might lose your job. You might have to take on hardship. You might have to ha suffer a reduction of income, whatever it is. That's a feminacy. And it's just endemic, absolutely endemic in this culture. And it's why all of this Corona stuff has happened. Nobody will stand up. Nobody will do anything that could result in any reduction in personal pleasure for themselves. It is it is catastrophic effeminacy all it's over the world. A, it's Go also ahead. a pattern that bears out historically. Uh, there, there's a saying, I, I forget where in history this saying comes in, but it's applied to many of the empires and... and um, large political organizations, for lack of a better term, that they rise the staircase or they, they, they ascend to power with wooden shoes and descend with silk slippers. Yep. That uh, when when you have a more spartan and disciplined and a group of people willing to do the arduous hard thing, they they will make the effort and, and the sacrifices necessary to attain power or to conquer, as the case may be. Uh -huh. And I, I was thinking tongue-in-cheek tongue what you were talking about, you know, people afraid to um, be soft or maybe face death. It's like, what we need is a Klingon spirituality. Today is a good day to die for Christ. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And it, it, when you look at the United States, I remember hearing on a um, uh, one of the, the Hardcore History podcasts with Dan Carlin, he, he had a episode where he said, could Americans today, if, 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 if Americans today had to fight a war against the Americans of World War One, who would win? Oh my gosh. And his position was that the Americans of World War One would just kick our butts up one side oh, and down yeah. the other because yeah. they, they had no problem putting up with hardship. And now yeah. if the if the Wi Fi goes out, we don't even we we're so beside ourselves because we don't even know, know we can't even tweet at, at somebody to complain. Yeah. It's 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 so true. It it wouldn't even be close. It wouldn't even be remotely close. And it's interesting. I had occasion, I was looking at a, uh, a set of photographs from, you know, just kind of a, a, a community, sort of a potluck gathering that happened in 
in middle America um, earlier in the late summer. And I'm going through and I'm looking at these pictures. And it was, I, I, I'm not a person who feels, who feels fear much, but I, I did have a, a distinct sensation of fearfulness looking through these pictures because I noticed that every single person of over about the age of 14 was obese. Every single one of them. Not, not one or two or not even half of them. Every person was severely overweight. And, and, you th- and you're sitting here thinking, all right, we've, we've been doing all this Tea Party stuff and all this, you know, Second Amendment stuff now for years and years. And, and yes, just firearms everywhere, ammunition everywhere. I don't think the average American adult at this point could, could walk a mile. I'm not talking about run a mile. I'm talking about walk a mile. Every, every one of these people that I saw was catastrophically overweight to the point that they couldn't even wear normal clothing. They were all wearing what I consider to be basically pajamas. And most of them were so fat that they couldn't even wear normal shoes. They were all wearing some derivative of flip-flops or, you know, uh, slide-in slipper-type shoes. And it was, it was just because they were so fat and bloated and couldn't even, can't, can't even fit into normal clothes. Now you're going to tell me that these people, and I don't care how many firearms they have, and I don't care how much ammunition they have. You're telling me that these people are going to fight a hot war of, of defense against a, a, a Chinese invasion or against, um, an, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, you know, organized movement that they determine that they're going to roll in and, you know, take, I, I pick Kansas because it's right in the middle and it's because I'm from Kansas, but, you know, just close your eyes in front of a map of Kansas and drop your finger down on whatever town and, and let's put a population limit on a, on a town of more than, more than a thousand souls. Okay. Find the closest town with more than a thousand souls and tell me that if a, a group of the of the People's Liberation Army or even a group of of Antifa, you know, twenty five to thirty five year old, you know, demonic thugs, if they roll into a town of a thousand in the middle of Kansas, even though those people are armed to the hilt, they they, they would be they would be conquered. And presumably they could be um, summarily executed within a matter of just a couple of hours. Um, it's, it's a frightening, frightening thing. Well, there is one unequaling factor there if you're talking about Antifa. And this goes back to the whole um, rules for radicals is that you exceed the moral boundaries of the people you're fighting. So in the case of Antifa, technically we're still under the rule of law. So if you ro- roll into town and you have murder on your mind, the peaceful citizens aren't going to open fire immediately, even though they right. see you, because they don't realize you've declared war and are going to violate norms of, of morality and law. If they knew that, they'd start gunning the minute you hit city limits, if not sooner. Right. I mean, this this whole situation as it exists on the ground in the United States would have been solved a long, long time ago if that were the case. And if this were anything before 
basically the end of World War II, it would have been. And going back to the original point of if you put World War I veterans against the people of the United States today and have them fight a war against each other, I mean, the World War I people would have started shooting long, long ago, long ago. The fact, just the very stop and think about what has been done and what is going on right now. What did Bill Gates just say day before yesterday? Nope, sorry. Uh, All restaurants are going to have to be closed for at least another six months. Oh, this this is an act of war. This This is total war economically against anyone who owns a restaurant, anybody who works in a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. This is a massive act of economic war against a very large swath of the economy. And there, there is openly saying this, nobody is doing anything. There's the one guy in Staten Island who um, re- refused to close his bar. Um, there's one gym somewhere like in New Jersey or something, and they've racked up $1.2 million in fines, and they keep putting you know, uh, barricades and locks on their door, and they just keep opening their gym, and their gym is packed, and nobody's wearing a mask, and those are about the only two examples that I can think of. And they're not even, there's no violence and nobody's shooting at anybody. They're just, they're just not obeying these dictatorial war decrees that are being made. I mean, how, what, what are these people going to have to do? Everybody just keeps saying, man, if they just cross this and such line, and then they cross that line, I said, well, you know, and they, everybody just keeps moving the line, moving up. It was, well, hell, if they start demanding that we all have to get vaccines, man, that's going to be it. Well, now people are saying, well, yeah, I'll get it. But man, if they do this next thing, and if they do that, just keep moving that line so that you never actually are going to ever do anything about this. And where it's all going is there, there will eventually be orders. Um, anyone over the age of 75 needs to start re- reporting to euthanasia centers. If you don't do it voluntarily, then we'll come and get you. And you think I'm kidding, and I'm not. Um, there, we're going to get into this later. But what the end game of this is is far worse than than almost anyone can possibly imagine. But we'll save that for the the final topic of the show. Well, this next question kind of goes along with what we were just talking about. And can you think of any biblical references to the sort of psychological warfare and brainwashing that people are being subjected to today? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Job. Um, what else? Um, our Lord's temptation in the desert. There's parallels there. Um, boy, do you come up with anything? Um, I just assumed. Given your background, you'd come up with biblical quotes off the top of your head. <laughs> oh, you're ma- yes, because I used to be a Protestant. Therefore, I've actually read the Bible. Ha, 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 ha. No, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking of it. I'm coming up with blanks, too. Maybe the Maccabees before they rose up. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a great template for our times. Uh, whether or not people are going to rise up or not, we're kind of living the, the early stages of the Maccabees right now. Yeah. 
Oh, and if you're Protestant, by the way, you'll, <laughs> you're not going to find that in your Bible. Although if you get a Protestant Bible that is um, more than 100 years old or so, all of the so-called Apocrypha, the Apocryphal books that Luther tore out of the Bible, they were all in Protestant Bibles as an appendix up until ooh, about 100 years ago. Um, and then they just stopped printing the appendix. And so most Protestants running around today, when you start talking about Sirach and Tobit and Judith and, and these books and Maccabees, they have no idea what you're talking about. They've never even heard of it. Yeah. Thanks, Luther, psychopath. I'll put a link okay. in the show notes uh, to drbo.org for the Maccabees. And um, might yeah. be a good idea to upgrade your library while you have a chance, while Amazon's Indeed. still delivering, before they stop Indeed. that even. What would be another of being like well i mean the serpent to eve in the garden but i mean you know that was <laughs> that was kind of one conversation <laughs> um the, the different persecutions during the roman times um obviously we were familiar with nero setting christians on fire and, and, and using them as human torches but that those are the spectacular heroic examples of, of the martyrs a lot of the persecutions were a lot less bloody than that there were could be that if you found out somebody was a Christian, they got you know put out of business, like the bar who or the the gym who won't close because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there was in, in in studying Roman history, Diocletian when he came up as an emperor was it Diocletian or somebody else that I, I had this really negative connotation about because I knew of, of the of the persecutions of Diocletian, but in terms of the politics of the Roman Empire, he did a lot of really good. Um, needed administrative reforms. It's just that somebody convinced him that, that uh, persecuting Christians had to be one of them because mm -hmm. they, they were, they were opposed to the good old uh, pagan customs of the empire. Well, the, the truth is, is that you can say, you can make arguments like that for pretty much every, um, despot. I mean, obviously, um, the argument is made that Hitler rebuilt the German economy rapidly after the the um, the Treaty of Versailles, which was just you know making Germany p basically pay for World War One, but on terms that were so intense that it just it just destroyed the German economy. And Hitler did you know X, Y, and Z and redeveloped business and redeveloped infrastructure and so on and so forth. Um, well, yeah, Mussolini, that leads to the old joke that, yeah, but at least the trains ran on time. The train, And that, that actually, that's um, more Italian. That's more Mussolini. I mean, Mussolini, the, the things that he did and what Italians, a lot of Italians will say, not, you know, very, very openly, but if they know you and you're having a, you're having a, private conversation, they'll say Mussolini was good to a point. And then he crossed a line that was just beyond the pale. But to a point, I mean, he he laid railroad track all up and down and completely connected the, um, the Italian peninsula. Um, there was more railroad track during Mussolini's reign than the, in Italy than there is today. I mean, there were railroads, and I mean, the same thing could be said for the United States, but there were railroads connecting little teeny tiny towns that are like narrow gauge rails that are no longer, no longer exist today. They tore a lot of them out. Um, Mussolini, if you've ever been to Rome, Mussolini is the one who said, 
by golly, we're putting in a subway. And yes, we're in the middle of an archaeological, you know, field here, obviously. But at some point, we're going to have to dig this thing. And so he did it. He built the street that runs between the Colosseum and connects it up to the main the main square of Rome, that, that straight line. He did, he built the, the street that runs straight up to St. Peter's. He did all kinds of enormous infrastructure projects and he got things done. And yes, the trains ran on time. And that's the, why do you think he had so much support? Why do you think the Italian people were just falling all over this guy? Because he got things done. And especially for Italians, good grief. I mean, they had just, there was nothing within living memory of this kind of organization and, and accomplishment and productivity, getting, getting things done, a government actually getting things done. I'm, then I'm, he, la- you know, I'm laughing saying, was he really Italian? He got, he got, he got things done. Well, I think he was from the north. I think he was from up around Milan. So a lot of those people, you know, almost all Italians, if you ask them what they are, and again, if you have a private conversation, they'll explain They'll explain to you about how their little race of people in their corner of Italy, the, well, we're not Italians. In fact, the whole concept of Italy as a unified republic is a Freemasonic construct. It's a fiction. So, you know, most of them will say, well, no, I'm not Italian. I'm Lombard. I'm not Italian. I'm Sardinian. I'm not Italian. I'm Neapolitan. I'm not Italian. I'm Venetian. And on and on and on. I kind of wonder if Mussolini's ability to pull that off was a combination of the timing that he was far enough after Italian unification that they could get over the fact that they could identify with being Italian. But, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure where I was going with that because if it was pre-unification back back before like Pius the Ninth, they're all separate countries, separate entities. Mm-hmm. There's no way you're gonna get anything united done in Italy, and probably not even much of a chance of getting anything done in any one of the different principalities. Right. So that that whole tribalism would have to die down to some point after unification to the point that some strong-headed person could say, "No, we're just gonna do things now." I don't know. It mm-hmm. still sounds more like a German trait to me. Well, I mean, the further north you go in Italy, I mean, the up around Milan, that's all bordering Switzerland. And we all know what the reputation of the Swiss is to be hyper-efficient and hyper-competent and, you know, uh, mechanical um, and engineering prowess and so forth. And on the other side, you're up close to Austria. So, you know, it's all, it, it gets very Germanic the further north you go in Italy. There's no doubt about that. So I think we're off topic for the question, though. What was the question? <laughs> um, thinking of biblical references to the sort of oh, psychological yeah. warfare and brainwashing that people are are being subject to today. I, I'm going to say Job is the best example of that. You know, with his quote unquote friends who keep coming and telling her, or his wife, <laughs> the line of his wife is just one of the one of the worst things anybody's ever said to anyone. And what does she say to him? Curse God and die. I'm like, wow, wow. What a, what a, what a loving supporting spouse. <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it's all in there for a reason. It's, it's lessons learned. Indeed. Uh, Next question. In the early days of the Trump presidency, you were very critical and skeptical of him. Since then, you've grown quiet. Has your opinion of the job he is doing evolved since then? Uh, Sure, sure. I'll I'll concede that. Um, 
I am not, but I am not in the camp that thinks that he is, you know, some sort of a, a secular savior, anything like that. Um, I am extraordinarily cautious about what's going on right now. Um, I think th- I think that he won the the election handily, um, and I, I said that even before the election happened. People were asking me, "What do you What do you think?" And I think I think it's going to be an absolute landslide if the votes are counted fairly. This is exactly what I was saying for months leading up to the election, and that's exactly what it turned out to be. I think he won by a long ways. Um, but I'm also realistic that he he is Donald Trump, who a little over a decade ago was doing professional wrestling, um, who was uh, a star of a reality television show. Um, he's a man whose career, biz- business career, included such wonderful things as strategic bankruptcies, pre planned bankruptcies. Um, you know, I'm I, I, I'm not a, a groveling. I'm not any sort of a groveling sycophant to the guy. Um, he's clearly outside of the Washington deep state to the extent that they hate, despise him and have, have executed this, this whole thing. He isn't, he's rogue. And I put that in quotes. Um, he's, he's a rogue actor, according to the deep state that makes him good. (laughs) But, but is he, and, and um, you think about one, one of the things you could say about the, the swamp creatures in, in Washington is they, they are a form of mafia. Yes. And if you are going to do anything and be anybody in real in New York City real estate, you're gonna get you're not getting anything done without without uh, dealing with the mafia. The Italian so, mafia, yeah, yeah. Well, what whatever's running around New York these days, seventies, uh, eighties. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still Italian or Cosa Nostra. I don't know if if the Russians were getting more involved. There's there's organized crime of all kinds. Yeah. And uh, you make them you make mention of um, Donald Trump being in, being in wrestling. He's not just in wrestling. He's in the he's in the wrestling Hall of Fame, and I don't know if I brought this up before. And I think last time we recorded, I, I ended up putting a link to the MoFax podcast uh, about uh, Big Bang Barry. But uh, the 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 episode right after that, forty five, was on Trump. And interestingly, MoFax hit because he he grew up uh, a big fan of of, of pro wrestling. Well, mm-hmm. the stage pro wrestling, the World World Wrestling Federation, WWE, right. whatever. And in the context of that type of, of entertainment, there is a character archetype called the heel. He is the mm-hmm. he's the prototypical bad guy. He's the person to hate. He has an attitude. He thinks he's perfect. And and the more Moe developed this thought, saying that Trump is the heel here. He's playing the part of the heel. Right down to the point that he, when you look back through 2016, all the, the places where he had big rallies, it was all in WWE venues across the United States mm-hmm. and they had that kind of energy about it. And it's like, dude, he is playing a part. Well, is he, or is that, is that just what he knows and he knows it works or is he actually playing a role for somebody else? Cause ultimately the heel is meant to um, be, be the villain who has conquered in, in the WWE storylines. I mean, I'm, I'm taking this all from this podcast. I don't watch this, that stuff, but I, I take it. That's what happens. Um, if that's the case, then he's the perfect setup to, to for a fall. 
and all the things you couldn't have gotten through with the other party because you know the republicans wouldn't take sitting down if the democrats said we're going to initialize uh, universal basic income with all these um, payroll protection plan and all the rest of this we're not going to take the beginning of, of uh, socially forced medicine through vaccines Everything that's happened this year, if a Democrat was in charge, we'd be yelling and, and screaming, possibly in an armed manner already. But because it's a Republican, orange man good, hey, we're going to do it. Hey, we, we like our heel. He's, he's at least fighting back against the Democrats. I don't know. Well, I, can, I, can see the point, I, I can see the point of view that he was necessary to the, the liberal plan, not the Q plan. He was necessary to the liberal plan because all the things, when you look at what has happened, you know, absolutely ballooning the debt. Yeah. This yep. had to be a Republican and it had to be somebody, somebody that, that uh, Republicans identified as being somebody who was fighting for them, that all these on paper, bad things that happened, they were doing was happening for our benefit. Kind of like under the, under the, the, um, the, the Reagan administration, we went from having a budget surplus to a budget deficit that we've never come back from because mm-hmm. we had to build our military out to the point that we could crush Russia many times over. We had to fund the ridiculous, to ridiculous degrees, the uh, strategic defense initiative, the Star Wars program, you know, to shoot down every nuke in Russia five seconds after it launches or whatever the goal was there. Yes, it, it, it did. We did outspend Russia, but did they go in debt to the degree that we did? Oh, no. <laughs> and had Jimmy Carter requested all that expenditure, do you think the Republicans would have allowed it? Right, exactly. That that tribalism and that, that team thing and not holding your guys to the same standard, absolutely. I mean, we could make a list of the stuff. The debt thing, I mean, how much have they spent this year? Six trillion? Or increase increase the debt by six trillion this year. Hey, that's I stopped just- counting. Yeah, I think I think they're at six, six and a half trillion, all in the name of Corona scam, which leads us to question number two. Why in the hell is Fauci still employed? Why does he still have any sort of a government position? Why? Why? Even now, after the election, oh wait, it, there was some there was some quote about Trump saying, well, no, just wait till after the election. Why? Is Fauci still appearing with any association with the federal government of the United States when Trump could have fired him at any time? Why? Never get any explanation for that. Planned Parenthood, you know, Trump did things like appear at the March for Life and so forth. Guys, I hate to break this to you, but Planned Parenthood has not suffered financially at all under Trump. They're getting, they're still getting hundreds of millions of dollars of government funds. Um, yeah, that's that's nice that he appeared at the March for Life, but where where was this put into action? Where does the rubber hit the road? Um, I, I admit that I have been perplexed and can't put my finger and just completely um, pin down what what exactly, is going on with Trump and has been going on with Trump for the last four years. No one was more shocked. No one was more shocked than I waking up that morning after the election of 2016 and seeing Trump wins as a headline on Drudge. Absolutely flabbergasted. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's in all this. The other thing, the other thing that needs to be pointed out is, oh, he's this 
people trying to project Christianity onto him and he's this great Christian. Um, what keeps the image that keeps popping into my mind is Jared Kushner. Basically, one of his very top advisors, his right-hand man, is a practicing rabbinic Jew, and Ivanka Trump had to formally, legally sign a document renouncing Christ and apostatizing from Jesus Christ and his holy church in order to marry him. Um, does this, does this not throw up any red flags with anyone at all? I mean, trying to assign devout Christianity to a man who's got, who's got a rabbinic Jew as his right-hand man who has caused his daughter to apostatize and his grandchildren are unbaptized and being raised as Talmudic Jews. And that son-in-law is one of his top advisors. Yeah. Uh, this, this is not making a whole lot of sense to me, how you can argue the devoutness of his Christianity, because if he were truly a devout Christian, he would have absolutely forbidden Ivanka. He said, if you, if you marry this guy, if you apostatize, you're out, you're out, you're written out of my will. I'm not having anything to do with this. What is the end of man? What, what, what is the end of, of marriage and having children to get them into the beatific vision? And you are completely copacetic with your daughter apostatizing to marry a Jew, which, which requires formal explicit apostasy. She had to sign a document and your grandchildren are now being raised unbaptized as Talmudic Jews. There's pretty much no greater failure, it seems to me, for a man as a husband and a father to be have to have his children apostatize and to have his grandchildren being raised unbaptized, in particular as Talmudic Jews. No greater failure for a Christian man than that, it seems to me. And I think and we can inject another question here midstream because we're half answering mm. it already. Since mm. Vigano has praised Trump as the bulwark against forces of, of evil in the world, do you think that Vigano is wrong and Trump is still kayfabe? I think Vigano is. Um, I want to say wrong. Um, his rhetoric is just way too, what's the word? I don't want to say messianic, but cringy and just, and, you know, it seems to me taking a huge, huge risk and setting people up. And I mean, I still keep waiting every day and it's probably not going to be until, until January 20th. But I'm really, really worried about a lot of people, um, what they're going to do. And I understand that you don't want to be defeatist and you don't want to be a nihilist. And yes, absolutely, the, the election was stolen. Yes, there is a mountain of evidence, absolutely. And more just keeps coming out every day, every day, every day. Um, and I'm not saying that you don't, you don't fight this, but... I'm seeing a lot of people that I'm afraid that if Trump, you know, goes away January 20th under whatever circumstances, that there are people who are going to be so scandalized that they are going to fall into terrible, terrible, 
terrible despair, terrible depression, terrible nihilism. Um, some of them might even become become suicidal because they've this has been so built up and people have been telling them and you know the whole the whole Q operation my 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 terror is that that has been all along an enemy action just designed to get people into into a state where they are going to be set up for such a tremendous fall um i hope i'm wrong um i don't know but you know when you see these these some of these Q alleged communiques that are that are descending into what sounds very very much like the um, numerology uh, screeds and, and rants of Louis Farrakhan, um, where you can just take anything that involves numbers and say, oh well, this means this and this means that, and and it's it's all so. <sighs> It's all so lame and transparent, and it it makes my skin crawl. And I'm really worried that a lot of people are going to be just completely destroyed uh, emotionally if if Trump voluntarily walks away on or before the 20th of January. And while that is definitely something that we hope doesn't happen, that they are they are not emotionally distraught. Mm-hmm. Personally, I'm more concerned about the fraction of people out there who might get violent. And this leads me to one of the next questions. And I'm not, to the person who submitted this question, I'm not drawing a direct line here. But in my mind, this is kind of, I, I don't know anything about this group, but it's the kind of thing, kind of like the Mich- Michigan militia. This, I don't know a whole lot of them. I, actually, I don't know any of them. All I know is stories about them. And I my fear is that somebody is going to pull a Timothy McVeigh here, and it's going to, whether it's an agent provocateur or it's legitimately somebody who's just so fed up with how things were stolen that they're going to say, screw it, this is illegitimate, I'm taking action. And the question here is, one of my sons is a college senior interested in a group called the American Renaissance. I don't know who these people are, which is led by somebody called Jared Taylor. I think it's some kind of a whites are great group but I'm not sure. I've told my son I believe this will either be a trap or a dead end or both. Can you give me any insight? Or um, he said ammo, and I don't think he means that in the term that I was just saying it to to use in this discussion. It's uh, I know just very little about it. It's it's a group that argues that. Um, society and human culture works better when races are segregated. And this is a, this is a fraught topic, obviously. Um, (laughs) At this point, it's a topic that you and I have somewhat disagreed on. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's, it's, you can see so clearly both sides of this argument. You can see that, that it's important for people to have a cultural cohesion. and boy, we just really don't have that. Um, what I call the rap hip hop culture is just, it's, it's irredeemable and it's getting to the point where you can't coexist with it. But then having said that, I think it was, it was Mark Doherty. It was non-Venny Mark who emailed me an image of a letter that someone received just like 10 days ago. This letter shows up in their mailbox. They live somewhere up in Minnesota. 
no return address, and it's typed. And this letter says, dear neighbor, we noticed that you put up Christmas decorations and Christmas lights on your house. And then proceeds to go on and say that, how dare you? This is so offensive. And these horrible times that we're living in, don't you realize that by putting Christmas lights on your house, that you are trying to colonialize people into or proselytize people into Christianity? You're being insensitive to all of the suffering that people are feeling, blah, blah, blah. And this goes on and on and on. Um, you know, how, how dare you put up anything beautiful that could could incite any happiness in any in any of us we all we all need to do better we owe our community more than this than these kinds of completely insensitive displays and you know the the caption as this is going around the internet is is just we, we can't coexist with these people and these are these, these are white people i mean it's for the, bringing the person who beauty into the world are, yep absolutely absolutely yes how dare you how dare you and you know that these these were white liberals who sent this. The line, folks, isn't 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 racial. It isn't skin color. It's uh, it's far far worse than that. Um, and, and we cannot coexist with this. We can't coexist with that. The how dare you put Christmas lights on your house? To to an even greater extent than we can't coexist with the rap hip hop culture. That that line is even more stark and more severe, and and now we're talking into a dynamic that's white people on white people. Um, it's uh, just saying, it, you know, if we went back to where we had some degree of of racial segregation, that everything would be copacetic again. Oh no, 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 no. And then let me hasten to remind everyone of our Lord's words: "There is neither Greek nor Jew; there is neither free nor slave." The, these distinctions um, basically collapse at the foot of the cross. Um, are there are there differences in cultures, and and should those differences be maintained? Well, sure. I mean, the the culture over in Italy is completely different from the culture in Germany, which is different from the culture in Scotland, which is different from the culture. You know, they're even. Um, good and admirable aspects of the culture in pagan East Asians and so on and so forth. We wouldn't want to see the, the artistic patrimony and the historical patrimony of Japan totally destroyed. I'd like to see the Buddhist temples converted into churches, but I mean, the architecture in and of itself has beauty and merit and value and so on and so forth. And it is good for these differences to be maintained. I mean, one of the, one of the more, um, uh, strong examples of this, if you're any sort of a foodie, is imagine if there was no more um, cultural culinary diversity. Imagine if just all food diversi diversity of cuisine went away tomorrow and all there was was bowls of rice and that's all anybody got, rice gruel. Well, you know, that's <laughs> that's happened before. Dietary um, ration number 27A. Mm-hmm, indeed. So... Obviously, these cultural um, islands and maintaining culture and and which requires to a certain extent that you do segregate and that you do marry within your own group and so on and so forth. And you maintain your traditions and you maintain your languages and so on and so forth. Um, but, yeah, I think these groups that start talking about and they really they do get racist. They really do get racist. Um about just 
all black people must be completely segregated from white people. Well, that's not true. So some of the most um, Eurocentrically cultural people and knowledgeable about Eurocentric culture people that I know are not white. They are brown or mochaccino or whatever. Um, so you, you just can't draw distinctions like that. And I'm cringing as soon as you mentioned Galatians 3.28 because that was one I actually knew. <laughs> I had it ready to reference. Uh, for, for as many of you as have been baptized in Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then we are the seed of Abraham and, and, according, and heirs according to the promise. Yes, and and it was my contention that when there was when it was in vogue here in the United States to be painting Black Lives Matter on the streets, that the counter should have been Galatians three twenty eight. Yeah. What difference does it make what color you are? That's it doesn't matter given that the goal here is heaven. Yep, and that's that's where all of those um, movements like that that's where they go off into the ditch. I mean, that's that that's how it is with anything. You know, you take a certain thing and you take it to this to a wild extreme and you go off in the ditch. Um, you need to get back on the road. Um, we don't need to be engaging in uh, melanonin parts per million segregation. That that's not the issue. We need to be converted to Christ. And ultimately, what we're looking at is the social kingship of Christ. Um, there can be obviously races living in the same geographical areas and, you know, everything's cool. I mean, if look back to the Roman Empire. There, there were black people running around in, in Palestine in our Lord's time. I mean, hello, the Ethiopian, all of that. There were black people running around there. There were black people in Rome. Um, St. Morris, black, black African. And I'm not talking about like North you know, Moroccan, Algerian, Libyan, those, those guys who were white, especially before the Islamic conquest came across, you know, X hundred years later, those North African guys 2000 years ago were white Carthage. That was, that was white territory. You didn't get into, into dark skinned black people until you got down below the, the Sahara desert, um, you know, Nigerians and stuff like that. St. Morris and of course, the Ethiopians, they, they're, but you know, if you've ever met anybody from East Africa, from Ethiopia, Eritrea, Somalia, those people look completely different. Yeah, they're, they're, their skin is dark or darker. It's not like Nigerian dark, but it's, it's, they're black. They're black people. Their physiognomy is completely different, totally different. Um, but I think St. Morris was supposed to have been a sub-Saharan black African man, um, dark skin, what we would call like a Nigerian or whatever today. Um, Is it Morris or Maurice? Well, depends on where you are. Morris, Moritz, uh, that's the famous city in Switzerland. Uh, I think a lake maybe too, some Moritz. Um, my grandfather's name was M-A-U-R-I-C-E and he said it Morris, so... So, I mean, the races can live together under the social kingship of Christ. That, that's the issue. There's, no, there's pretty much no hope, 
I would say at this point, of any sort of, of racial peace, unless and until you have governments that are Catholic confessional states under, under the kingship of Jesus Christ, the sovereign king. There, there's not going to be any peace between races in any other context. And so, you know, good, good luck with your little movement there, but it's, it's not going to work. Yeah, and I, I was thinking my, my tongue-in-cheek comments that I, I kind of sketched together here. And again, I say this without even knowing what this group is about. But if it is one of these, hey, it's great to be white and everything else is not worth worthwhile. It's like, what's so great about being white? We get skin cancer at higher rates. We have freckles. We're not so good at sports. We can't dance. But <laughs> ultimately, regardless of what we look like, if there's anything good in us, either individually or collective, it's due to the grace of God. That's right. The only thing we can claim for ourselves is our sins, individually yep. or collectively. Yep. And yes, it, it ultimately, the, if, if we're going to find true peace and, and grace, it's going to be under the kingship of Christ, in which there is no Jew or Greek or free or bond or, and all the other things we said, Galatians 3.28. Mm -hmm. um, let's get to the next question. Um, why are there two judgments after death? There's the particular judgment when, at the moment of your death, which is just you alone. Um, and you will not be shown at your particular judgment any um, external context or anything outside of yourself. It's completely 100% you alone. And you will know at your particular judgment whether it's yes or no. You'll know whether you're going to hell or if you're going into purgatory. And then if you if you get into purgatory, eventually you will achieve the beatific vision. Um, so that is at the moment of your death. The general judgment, the difference there is that it will be at the end of the world, the consummation of the world. Everybody, living, dead, everyone, will be assembled and full context, every one of your sins is going to be exposed. Everyone will know everything that you've done. As well and as you all your good works as well. And so at, at, all the, of at, your good works, yeah. At the end of all the podcasts, we talk about the, 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 um, the not the donor masses, the, the benefactor masses, all the graces that flow out from those. Those aren't going to be known at your, at your particular judgment, but all of that will be known at the general judgment all of the all those graces that come come out from those those uh, those masses or just anything any of your works and how it affects things downstream the whole you know idea of the the butterfly flaps its wings in Beijing and a hurricane happens in Florida grace and 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 works do kind of work like that there are second third fourth fifth order effects mm -hmm. of, of our actions and for the not so much for our own personal justice because that's fixed at your uh, particular judgment but in in justice to everybody else to see how all of the justice and mercy of god works together yeah that's what the general judgment is for that's why it, it's it's not voyeurism that we're going to see no. everything in history and how it all works together we got to see, we see who's damned and who's saved it's how god's justice and mercy is manifest through everybody. That's right. Every human being that has ever existed and will ever exist exists ultimately to the glory of God. You say, wait a minute, even Hitler? Yes. How, how is this possible? Because... 
there were some it, very it, heroic saints that were raised in fighting Hitler and the second, third and fourth order effects of those saints are still being felt in the world. Indeed. Absolutely. And the fact let let's, um, for the sake of argument, a Holy Mother Church teaches that you can't say with a hundred percent certitude where anybody is. Um, maybe the only exception to that is Judas Iscariot. I think Holy Mother Church does teach that um, that Judas is in hell, and a kind of a, conf- a con- confirming set of this is the, the fact that Anti Pope Bergoglio keeps trying to say that he isn't. Um, but let's let's say for a second that Hitler is in hell. I think that's a pretty safe supposition for the sake of argument. Considering Why, he blew his own brains out, yes. Cons- yes, considering he put a gun to his head. Um, why is that? Why is Hitler to the glory of God? Because he got what he deserved. He's a, he's a manifestation of God's justice. So God doesn't make mistakes. Every human being, every human being is a glorifies God, including Hitler. And Hitler does it in the fact that God's perfect justice is meted out upon him. And so people thinking about the general judgment as we sit here in linear time, it's extremely intimidating. First, it's intimidating because you realize that all of your sins are going to one day be exposed to absolutely everyone. And, you know, in a certain sense, that's kind of good because maybe that'll stop you from doing something. <laughs> it, it, as simple as simple and and low level as that is as a motivation it's still a good motivation don't do xyz because if you do it everyone is going to find out at the end of the world um and the general judgment is also it, it's intimidating in the sense that we are going to be, let's assume, again, for the sake of argument, that we are amongst the saved. But we know we're, we're all going to know people who are not amongst the saved. And we will be <laughs> rejoicing and glorifying God in the fact that they are damned to hell. As we sit here right now in linear time, that's that's tough. If you if you're thinking about you know your children or your spouse or your parents, who you suspect um, like your parent, if you suspect that your parents died in states of unrepentant mortal sin, which by now a lot of people do, um, a lot of people convert to the faith, and that's that's one of the most difficult things to come to grips with is that if what the church teaches in tr- is true, then my parents are probably in hell. My grandparents are probably in hell. Um, my gay brother who died of AIDS is probably in hell. Da 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 da. da. Um, and it's it's that's a, a scary thing to come to grips with, and it's it's scary to think about people that I love. At some point, if I make it to the beatific vision and they're in hell, I'm going to be glorifying God for the fact that they are in hell. Now, understand that when you're in the beatific vision, th- this is not an issue. Um, and I I can't give an experiential, obviously, testimony to this, but all, all I can beg you to do is believe me that God is our end. God is everything. His justice is perfect. And yes, we will we will glorify God in the fact that people that we love right now in linear time are damned because 
for lack of a better word, they, they will have deserved it. And they did not avail our, themselves of our Lord's mercy. We pretty much everyone, everyone deserves to be damned. Um, but they had every opportunity and they did not avail themselves of his mercy and they died rejecting him and his mercy. But that should be, that should give us again, an incentive to proselytize. Do, do you really love, you know, XYZ family member, XYZ friend? Have you talked to them about this? Have you said, have you ever said to them, if you die in this state of life that you're in, if you, if you remain outside the church, if you reject Christ, if you continue to engage in these mortal sins, um, with the sixth commandment ones obviously being the most publicly obvious in this day and age, um, you will go to hell and you'll go for all eternity. Have you ever said anything like that to anyone that you're related to? Well, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I could never say that you know, to my parents. I could never say that to my spouse. Oh no. Well then how, how much do you really love them? Charity sometimes, you know, charity isn't the, you know, the, the fluffy bunny all the time. Charity sometimes is, is, is very, very strong and even has a hardness to it. Uh, and I like to use the word ferocious. It can sometimes have a ferocity to it. Um, and that I'm taking that from CS Lewis. Uh, yeah. How much do you love? And you, you should be motivated by the thought of the final judgment. And do, do you want to spend all of eternity rejoicing in the fact that your children are in hell or that your parents are in hell? Well, maybe you should start having a conversation or two and be motivated by that. There, I'm looking at the list of the questions uh, to follow up with, and there's obviously not something that neatly follows on to that topic a lot or a few of these can be grouped together, but I think this is probably a good point to transition to um, <laughs> to the other question you wanted to discuss, uh, and that was the apotheosis of evil. Right. I'm this my email box like within a span of two hours just filled up with people linking to this uh, this post, which is on the Vox Day um, blog, but it's. It's linked to the source article, which is, let me see if I can open this, what this guy's name is, um, charltonteaching.blogspot.com, Bruce Charlton's Notions. And th this essay is just amazing and, and is such and dovetails so perfectly. Well, it's, it's a little bit imperfect, but we'll talk about that dovetails so well with um, all the work that we've done on diabolical narcissism. And I mean, there's just key words that are just jumping, jumping, jumping out. So we'll link to both. We'll link to the Vox Day um, uh, uh, version of this. And then we'll also link to the, the full essay. Um, have to make a caveat because the full essay is based upon a premise and I, I don't think that this guy, Bruce Charlton, necessarily subscribes to that. He says at the opening, note, here I am using a typology of evil, Luciferic, Aramanic, and Seraphic, which I have adapted and transformed from their origin in the works of Rudolf Steiner. Who's Rudolf Steiner? A German of the early 20th century who was into um, bad things, spiritualism, et cetera, et cetera. But he he apparently came up with this model or this mythology that 
Lucifer wasn't the only um, evil being, that there were actually two other beings that were even more uh, evil than Lucifer. Now, this is false, and we're, we're building into, you know, fictional you know, quasi mythologies here, like Greek mythology. I mean, no, no, it has been revealed through Holy Mother Church what the situation is. Lucifer was the highest of the choir of angels, and he fell, and he took a third of the of the angelic choir with him. Okay, we know this, so we don't need to be reinventing the wheel or anything like this. However, what um, what builds upon this is that there is a progression. And what it really is, is if you're at all familiar with the work we've done, the video that I have on diabolical narcissism, and you've been reading and following and all that, he's basically laying out a three-tiered progression into the descent into diabolical narcissism. And, you know, he's saying that the first level, which he calls Luciferic, is basically um, anger, lust, and pride. It's the most common. And, you know, we, we obviously see it all the time. Then it progresses into the middle stage, which is fear, resentment, and despair. And tell me that we aren't seeing that, that we aren't seeing people with narcissistic pathologies who are now becoming just beating a drum of fear of Corona scam, um, resentment of anyone and everything, you know, just, you know, raging at other people all the time and despair. That's the big one. There's nothing we can do. Shut up. You're just, you're just tilting at windmills. You're not living in reality, blah, blah, blah. What's interesting is when you get into the ultimate um, level of diabolical narcissistic psychopathy, as I would call it, which he calls seraphic, S-O-R-A-T-H-I-C. Again, that doesn't particularly matter, but just so you can follow along this essay. Um, he, the point that he makes, and it's 100% true, is when you get to the level of people who are probably actually worshipers of Satan, who are completely and as totally far gone as a human being can be into diabolical narcissism, the complete purgation of love, a human being that is as closely conformed to being an actual demon, a fallen angel, as a human being can be. You have to stop at that point talking about, and let's use Bill Gates as an example, because I think Bill Gates is an example of this. You have to stop talking about these people and their actions and their motivations in terms of financial gain, even in terms of um, the acquisition of power, because these people are so far gone that it isn't even about that anymore. What these people are about is the total and complete destruction of anything that is good. Now, what, what constitutes good? Anything that is created. Now, stop and think about that. What, what is created? Everything. Every human being, the entire physical world, absolutely everything is something that is created. When you get to the point where you are basically completely diabolical, you don't want money, you don't want power, you don't even necessarily want sex, you want to destroy everything out of pure spite 
just because it exists. And if you stop and think about this, especially with regards to Corona scam, and I've kind of talked about this before, and I've written a, a, an essay about Bill Gates. What, what, the, what does this guy want? He's got $100 billion. Why? What, why is he doing this? What does this guy want? Does he want another $100 billion or another $500 billion? What does he want? Doesn't he realize that if he destroys the entire world, the entire economy, that he's not going to be able to go and do anything either? He's not going to be able to go on vacation on some tropical isle and eat Michelin-starred food and guzzle champagne, nothing. He's not going to be able to do any of that stuff. And you stop and you sit and realize that that's exactly right. I I don't think he wants any of that. He just wants to destroy everyone and everything because it exists, because it was created and all of creation is good, as we know from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. It was good. It was very good. Yes, they want to destroy everything out of spite. They do not experience pleasure. And I cover this explicitly in my um, video on diabolical narcissism. Really tough thing for psychologically normal people to understand that the diabolical narcissist, he, he might experience what is referred to as um, narcissistic satisfaction, or it's sometimes called narcissistic supply. This is not pleasure. It is something distinct from pleasure. And if you kind of want to get your head around it, think about demons, actual demons. Think about all of the the works of the evil works that they're doing, trying to incite people into committing sins and and so on and so forth, and then seeing human beings commit sins and and commit atrocities and, and so on and so forth. Do demons experience pleasure at this? No, they're not capable of pleasure by definition. They are incapable of love. And so, and pleasure is actually something that is derived from love. So um, in the same way that demons don't experience pleasure per se, they might, they might experience very, very fleeting um, satisfaction, demonic satisfaction. But I mean, fleeting is putting it mildly because it's never enough. There's never any satisfaction to any of this, which is why Bill Gates, Bill Gates would, would destroy the entire world if he could. Because there's just no satisfaction, there's no satisfaction that will ever, ever, ever be enough for him. So the, he's the just quote that comes going. to mind when you say that, though, is is the quote from Jean Rostand: "Kill one man, and you're a murderer. Kill a million men, and you're a conqueror. Kill them all, and you're a god. And you're a god." Um, but even that, I mean, Lucifer knows how it ends. The demons all know how it ends. They know that they're never. They will never see the beatific vision. They all know this. Why do they keep doing the things that they're doing? And you know, deep down, Bill Gates knows that he isn't God and he never will be God or anything even remotely close to that. Why? Why keep going? And it's just, it's pure spite. 
And it's, again, it's very, very difficult for psycho, psychologically normal people, psychospiritually normal people to even begin to comprehend this. And you, you really can't comprehend it, but it's the truth. So if I can just, um, we'll go through very quickly just this block quote as it exists on the Vox Day blog. <clears throat> I don't like to read, you know, verbatim, but this is, this can't be said any better. So let's go through this and I'll, I'll stop as I want to, you know, jump in and make a point. So opening quote, when this worldview of negation of the self penetrates the soul and has been internalized, we get the seraphic form of evil, evil as the negation of the good, any good. So evil loses any positive goal and becomes directed against truth, beauty, and virtue, against life and consciousness, against the natural and spontaneous, against beings and their relationships. Okay, I'm going to pause now. Evil loses any positive goal. Look at Corona scam. This, ha this has no positive goal at all. This thing is 100% about destruction for destruction's sake. I'm going to continue reading. Seraphic evil's only satisfaction because it has become incapable of pleasure. Ah, uh, yeah, this is where Anne went, ding, oh, this is important, is in this destruction of anything that is of God, anything created, anything capable of creation. What we are therefore seeing here is a very pure form of seraphic negation. Even the global establishment themselves, the people who are imposing societal, societal destruction on the world, do not understand why they are doing this work of societal destruction. They insist upon its necessity, but they cannot coherently explain that. Cannot coherently explain it. Pause. That can't tell me. Tell me that that is not 100% spot on. None of these people, you know, Bill Gates comes out and says, you know, we're going to have to shut all the restaurants for an, at least another six months. And, you know, there's absolutely no chance of life getting back to anything even close to normal until, you know, maybe summer of 2023 at the earliest. And believe me, this is all just, it's going to keep going and going and going until eventually what I, this would be a violation of the eighth commandment, but it occurred to me, something that would be really interesting to do would be to produce a deep fake video of someone of Gates, Fauci, Biden, um, whoever else, Cuomo, whoever else you wanted, you wanted to put into this, this cabal, produce a deep fake video of them saying, folks, look, um, this is, this is permanent. Produce a deep fake of them, them saying this and then watch the reaction of all of the thralls that have converted to this religion of, of satanic nihilism saying, yep, that's right. They're, most of the, the millennial generation would nod their heads and agree that it's over. We can never, ever, ever have any human society ever again. Everyone has to go under permanent lockdown. All businesses have to be shuttered. Everything stops. Every, all human relationships have to stop. There has to be total isolation. 
permanently. Produce a deep fake of people saying that and watch the reaction of the COVIDians who have, who have converted to this religion. Watch them agree with it if they were convinced by it. And now we can't do this because that would be a violation of the Eighth Commandment. It would be a lie. But I think just sitting here thinking about it as a thought exercise is very informative. Nobody can explain any of this. Nobody can explain how it is that that destroying the entire world, basically, and severing and, and destroying all human relationships and putting people in a state of perpetual isolation is somehow worth it, coherent, reasonable, logical. None of these people can explain anything. They're, they're just doing it. They're just going for it. I'm going to continue reading. The reason is that the need for societal destruction cannot be explained in materialistic terms, which are the only terms possible in public discourse, and among those who deny the reality of God and creation. Exactly. Like anti-Pope Bergoglio, who I think at this point has made it abundantly clear that, that he's an atheist. Pure materialist. It's the only uh, matrix within which he can even conceptualize anything. It's just pure materialism. Continuing on now, the true reason for societal destruction is that human society is good and therefore needs to be destroyed. In this burgeoning world of seraphic evil, we need to stop looking for the advantage in evil. And th this is how, how this is all completely different. We need to stop trying to explain evil in terms of it. For example, making more money for them or giving them more power. From now, evil needs to gain no advantage by its action. Evil thrives purely on the destruction of whatever is good. Evil has therefore ceased to be a triad and has become a unity, the unity of negation, the unity of simple destruction of good, end quote. Absolutely true, and it's why I think that this is not only epical, but I strongly suspect that this is the run-up to the big show. And um, for those of you who are in Dr. Motz's um, Advent class on the coming of Christ and the coming of the Antichrist, um, last night, which was um, week three of his four-week um, uh, mini-course, he got into this, and it was it was mind-blowing. Um, so everybody read this, everybody take this to heart, try to get this to sink into your mind. You've got to stop looking at men like Bill Gates and, and Andrew Cuomo and saying to yourself, what, what do they, do they want more money? Do they want more power? I think these guys are beyond that. I think this is exactly spot on. And I think that they are so far gone and they are so conformed to the demonic that they want to destroy absolutely everything, everything for the sake of destroying it. Because anything that exists, anything that exists is of God because God creates and created everything. Therefore, everything has to be destroyed. And there's no advantage for them in it. And remember the comportment of the damned in hell. There's no charity. There's no relationship, none, which is one, which is my big problem such as it is with C.S. Lewis's um, The Screwtape Letters, because it depicts demons as being, you know, just like in a parallel counterculture, but they have friends and they have relations and, you know, they're, they're working team, teaming up and buddy, buddy. And, 
they have they have a relationship with each other and this is deceptive now i understand that lewis wrote the piece and that is a it's a device setting it up the setting the screw tape letters up the way it is set up is a pure literary device and it's brilliant it works it works very well but it is misleading to people who read it because it makes people who read it think that in hell there is a relationship and there is not. That's why I pre- periodically keep posting the image um, by Fra Angelico, which is in, um, in the Church of St. Mark in Florence, of this depiction of hell where the human beings are biting each other and biting themselves and raging and and clawing and in contention with each other, and then the demons are there tormenting them, and the demons are in are in contention with each other. There is no relationship in hell. There is no charity in hell. It's pure spite forever, total isolation. And I think a man like Bill Gates, who at this point, I strongly, strongly suspect is probably involved in in the worship of Satan somehow, some way. Um, strongly suspect that. I think that he's one of these people who has descended descended into this. And so, stop talking about Bill Gates is in this to make money off of the vaccines. I, I actually don't think that anymore. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I don't think that it's because Bill Gates wants to be, you know, some political leader or anything like that. I think Bill Gates wants to destroy everything, humanity, human relationships, society, um, absolutely everything. So yeah, I, I would strongly suggest that everybody read this piece. Uh, take my caveat if you read the source piece about, you know, the mythology of these three beings, Lucifer and then two others that are above him. We know that is is a, a myth. That's not true. And it was it was cooked up by some German spiritualist 100 years ago, whatever. But the the point, the the points about diabolical narcissism in this, I think they're 100% spot and spot on. And it's essential to get it out there and have as many people understand this as possible. So they, they fully understand the gravity of what you're up against. Know your enemy, get into the mind of your enemy as much as you can, even if it's uh, at a superficial level like this. I mean, you don't ever want to actually feel and experience the kind of things that Bill Gates feels and experiences. You wouldn't wish that against your worst enemy, but on a superficial level, it's good to have, you know, just kind of a gloss as to what, what is wrong with these people and where are they coming from? And we have crossed, we have crossed a boundary that for the first time, I mean, going back to talking about Hitler again, Hitler had, he, he wanted to build up Germany. He wanted Germany to be strong and powerful and he did public works and, and economic stimulus, things like that. Th- think about the contrast of that. Contrast now Hitler to a Bill Gates, a George Soros, an Andrew Cuomo, a Fauci, these men who want uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the, the, the hag in, in Michigan. These people don't want to do any of those things. They don't want to make America, they don't want to rebuild the economy. They don't want any of these things. It is completely nihilistic. They want, they want total destruction and purely for destruction's sake, even if that means them getting caught up in it. So yeah, there's a few of them who are going to um, um, $1,000 a plate dinners at the French Laundry. Yeah, there are some of those 
people in power that are absolutely running around and the rules don't apply to me and I'm going to go on vacation in a tropical island and I'm going to go eat at the French Laundry, blah, blah, blah. But who's actually driving this from the top? We've, we've crossed into something that I think perhaps, I don't know, I can't think of an example historically of, of anybody who was just literally looking to destroy all of creation the way these people are. So dismount soapbox. It makes me think of the quote from Albert Pike. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a great social cataclysm, which in all its horror will show clearly to all the nations the effect of absolute atheism, the origins yep. of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. Yep. And I don't think it's been seen before. Are I you familiar think... with that quote? No, I, I'm not. That's a good one. Where did you come across it? Okay. I'm going to call timeout on the podcast and this, this part stays in and then I'm going to send you a link. Actually, I already sent you a link and go read it and then we'll resume. Wow. This, uh, this quote is pretty amazing. Um, thank you for bringing it to my attention. This is definitely definitely going in the show notes. And this will probably need to be a freestanding post on the blog itself. Since this is your baby, I'm going to let you go ahead, super nerd, and read the rest of it. You're a better reader than me. Go ahead and you do it. Okay. Do you want me to start from the beginning from We Shall Unleash? Yeah. This this is a quote from Albert Pike, who was the chief, um, the head, not just the head mason, but he was the Illuminati chief uh, in the United States. And I want to say South Carolina, right along the 33rd parallel. And I'm, I don't know if it was, you said Garibaldi. I don't think it was Garibaldi. There was somebody more in, uh, darn it. I can't remember who it was. I'm not a demonologist, but it was, it was his counterpart in, um, in Italy who he was corresponding with. And they basically mapped out the future of the Illuminati and, and, um, the overthrow of the world orders, coming in into the future and so this was his quote i don't recall what book it's from but he basically just lays out here's the game plan yeah go ahead and and listen folks because this is this is going to take a twist at the end that is going to surprise a lot of you all right i'll start from the beginning quote we shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists And we shall provoke a great social cataclysm, which in all its horror will show clearly to all nations the effect of absolute atheism, the origins of savagery, and of most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere, the people will be forced to defend themselves against the world minority of the world revolutionaries and will exterminate those destroyers of civilization civilization and the multitudes disillusioned with Christianity whose spirits will be from that moment without direction and leadership and anxious for an ideal but without knowledge where to send its adoration will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine of Lucifer brought finally out into public view, a manifestation which will result from a general reactionary movement which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated 
at the same time, end quote. So do you see what the twist folks is at the end of this? This guy is saying, and I've kind of talked about this in terms of Freemasonry all along, the ultimate, you know, Freemasonry is presented as the worship of man, as, you know, worshiping the, the divine inside of all human beings. But it's, that's a front. That's a pose. What the ultimate goal at the top of Freemasonry is, is the worship of Lucifer. This guy is, is that's what he just said. Listen to him say that he, he is looking to enact the destruction of Christianity and atheism such that then the entire world will come to worship Lucifer. That is the ultimate goal of Freemasonry. And so, yeah, and this guy's an American. This is, and there's a photograph of him, which looks to be um, late 19th century. Um, But, and by the way, not only is he American, he was a Southern general in the Confederacy, and he's the only Confederate officer of any kind who had, has had a statue in Washington, D.C. And wouldn't you know that the Antifa folks actually toppled his statue this year because they just thought, oh, white Southerner, topple it. Right. I think, I, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised one bit if that statue was already restored and has a guard on it. Mm, any of our DC listeners, let us know what the status of the Albert Pike statue is. Um, yeah. So that I think that's what a lot of people just simply do not understand is that atheists are every bit as much in the crosshairs of these people who are at the very, very, very top of the new world order. The atheists are the useful idiots. They're the useful idiots who will bring, who will bring out and foment this um, destruction of civilization. And their plan is, is they will, they talk openly about this. They want to wildly reduce the the human surface population from 7.7 billion as it is now to a billion or less. And some of them want it to be considerably less. Some of them want it to be, you know, like 300 million. Like the, the population of the United States being the entire global population. Um, so they want they want that. And then their dream is that all of those people that remain will worship Lucifer. And that's what we are just diving headlong into. And so atheists like um, Jorge Bergoglio, I believe, you know, the quintessential useful idiot and exactly what the goal of Freemasonry has been since its founding in 1717 in London is to um, usurp the Petrine Sea and install an atheist Freemason or, or Freemasonic sympathizer. I don't know if Bergoglio has actually been through the rituals. It wouldn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Bergoglio has an apron, but I mean, he's clearly an atheist. So they've, they've usurped the Petrine Sea. Um, but the Holy Father, Pope Benedict is, is still very much alive and very much with us. So we keep praying. And we also remember that we win in the end. We might not live to see it, but we keep fighting the good fight. And this is going to resolve and it's going to resolve um, in <laughs> in favor of of our Lord and his holy church. It's just uh, here in real time. It's, it's 
it's remarkable. And yeah, I admit it's, it's, it can be scary, but what I've told people, and I think I've said this perhaps before on, on the podcast, you know, people ask me because there are other people who are, it's sad to watch. There are people that just go on social media and go on the internet and seem to brag about their mental illness and, you know, crippling anxiety and depression and using drugs and so on and so forth. And people, you know, occasionally ask me, you know, and do you, how, how do you feel? I mean, you, do you, do you ever get frightened? And honestly, no, not really. Um, do you, do, and do you ever feel anxiety or you just like feel like you're paralyzed and you can't do anything and just have this crippling anxiety? And no, not at all. Anxiety is not something that I've experienced much at all in my life ever. Um, um, and any, any sort of fear that you might feel, um, it's the kind of fear that you that you feel when you're riding a roller coaster or something like that. I mean, it's it's unknown and it's going to be intense. It's going to be an intense experience. Um, but at the same time, it's you know, let's do this. Let's get the let's get it on. This is it's it's going to be scary and it's going to be intense. Um, but and it's it's going to be physically uncomfortable probably at some point. But it's also all going to be for the glory of God. And I just, I hope I do the best that I can do. Um, but do I feel fear, anxiety, despair? Oh no, not at all. In fact, as we've talked about before on the, on the podcast, the fact that all of this is happening and, um, like I can't, again, going back to Dr. Motz's class last night, I mean, this stuff that is rolling out. And for the first time, there are passages of scripture that are making just like, perfect sense that that people have just not really been able to make heads or tails of up until now that are now just coming coming into focus and we're saying oh that that's what that's probably talking about the fact that we're sitting here witnessing all of this that prophecies are coming true that the words of our lady are are coming to pass that all of this has been foretold and we're sitting here and we're not only witnesses to it in real time, but we're active participants in it. We're players in this. This is incredible. This is amazing. And I mean that in, in a good way. We are so blessed to be here, be, be here now to have the opportunity as we started talking about it at the, at the beginning of the podcast to, to advance in sanctity and to potentially have the ability to, um, to do things in our life that could advance us in sanctity and advance us in the beatific vision um, when and if we we achieve it, that people just before us simply didn't have. We're, we're given such an amazing opportunity and God, God saw fit to put me here now, me here now. We can say, well, you know, where's the Catherine of Siena? Where's the, you know, where's the where are the great saints? Where's the St. Dominic? Where's, where's the St. Vincent Ferrer? Where are all these incredible people? It's you um, if you'll stand up and do it. It's you. It's you if you'll do it. It's you if you'll take the challenge. It's you if you'll step up. It's you if you'll get off the drugs. It's you if you'll put down your video game console. It's you if you'll turn off the television. It's you if you'll go to mass. It's you if you'll pray the rosary. Um, and on and on and on. You don't have to. You don't have to. God is standing in front of you with a tray that is mounded with gold bars, gold bullion, and you can either take it or you can leave it, or you can take just a little bit, or you can take most of it, 
or you can take half of it, or you can take all of it. I mean, it's a continuum. Or you can turn, or you can turn around and turn your back on him and say, "You suck. I didn't sign up for this. I don't deserve any of this." But da 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 da. As we're hearing people say, um, "Well, you you set up everything wrong. You set up your church wrong. The papacy is a disaster. Um, you you don't know what you're doing." If you think about the early uh, couple centuries of the church. People could have made a, not correct, but a, a rationally explainable argument that, hey, maybe it wasn't such a great idea that Peter came to Rome to set up the church because the, the emperors here are cracking down. Nero is killing everybody, everyone who he can find who, who identifies as Christian. But mm-hmm. from our perspective, looking back, how cool would it be? to get back in your financial person, or at least you had some training in that. How, how cool would it be to get in at the ground floor? Yeah. And, and yeah. W- before this thing even takes off. And when you think about it, you know, to make another analogy financial wise, yes. Okay. Y- yeah. We can't travel in time. That's a contradiction of God's being, right. but w- think about this for a minute. What if, and, and this isn't time travel per se, but think about what if you, somebody offered you the opportunity, opportunity to invest in Apple, in July of 1997. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a couple of months after Michael Dell had said that the best thing Apple could do is liquidate all, liquidate all the stocks and assets and, and return everything back to their shareholders. Oh, yeah. That I was think- <laughs> at the lowest point in history that Apple stock got before they announced first the iMac and then took off like a rocket and they're still not coming down. Yep. That's where think- we are in the history of the church right now. What if you I could take your entire life about, savings? And I'm talking over Ian, sorry. <laughs> what if you could take what if, what if you could go back in time and take your entire life savings and put that into Apple stock in July of nineteen ninety seven? You'd be yeah. a quadrillionaire. Yep. How about spiritually? Yep. Now's the time. Exactly. So if you if you're like me and you do think about that and you're like, man, I could have done this and I could have shorted Martha Stewart in like the summer of 2000 and, but right, which was, I think right before it all crashed and she, she went to prison and all that stuff. And I could have done this and I could have done that. Well, if, if you have regrets about stupid material things like that and, oh, I could have made so much money and I could have done this. Super nerds point is exactly right. What you're living in right now is infinitely more potentially valuable than anything that could have ever happened in the stock market or any of that garbage. You have the opportunity to be not just a saint, but I think we're being given the opportunity to be great saints. And it's interesting to watch people react to that. Um, you know, there are people and one of one of the strengths, such as they are, if I and if I can toot my own horn at all without falling into sin, is that um, I've always craved responsibility. Just let me do it. Let me take care of it. I love responsibility. I if you if if you could you know put if you could put I'm not going to say the weight of the world, but if somebody theoretically were to offer me some sort of a position where I could start making you know serious hardcore decisions, like on the level of of uh, uh, president of the United States, or or perhaps the best analogy would be on the level of a cardinal prince of the church. If I could be in a position where I could have the the authority, the level, the gravitas of a cardinal prince of the church 
oh my gosh, it would be on like Donkey Kong. I would be, I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that. You're excommunicated. Um, you know, Second Vatican Council is a failed council. You just keep going on down the line. Um, Novus Ordo Mass is officially abrogated. Da, 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 da. Anybody who doesn't like it, I'll sign your laicization papers right now. Do, 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 do. Right on down the line. I would love it. Oh, and of course, obviously, the first thing I do at the first press conference I call is say, um, yeah, Pope Benedict's resignation was invalid 12 ways from Sunday. He's the Holy Father. And this guy, Bergoglio, is a criminal, and I'd have him arrested, and I'm not being facetious. Um, well, he might be the Bishop of Rome. He, he still needs to be arrested because he's a heretic. Uh, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I, that, that in my mind, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Now, of course, I don't, I don't have any sort of authority like that. I will never have any, any sort of authority like that, but I would love to have it. And, you know, this kind of gets into a, like a... Um, this kind of Lord of the Ringsy, you know. I mean, Gandalf saying, <laughs> you know, be be careful what you wish for, and taking on all this power, and then Galadriel too. She she's tempted by the power of the ring, but um, yeah, you can you can certainly make arguments about that. And and I suppose one of the things you could do is get on your knees and say your prayers and thank God that I don't have any sort of power like that, and I never will because it's not possible. But um, but yeah, I crave the ability to act and take responsibility. And I don't care who made this mess, I'm going to fix it. Um, and that that boils down in life to incredibly simple, mundane things. I was having a conversation with someone um, just recently who was complaining that um, uh, one of their, one of the people that they share a, a house with was not washing the dishes, like washing up after themselves in the kitchen like they should. And, you know, I, I give the, <laughs> the pep talk, which is sometimes gets to be kind of scolding. And I just say, well, why don't you just wash the dishes? Well, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not going to take on this person's, uh, I'm not going to take the responsibility of having to clean up after. Well, then stop complaining. If, if there's a problem and, and you don't like it, and you have the power to do something about it and fix it, do it. Either do it or stop complaining. That's always been my philosophy. I have absolutely no problem washing other people's dishes. Doesn't bother me. I am about taking responsibility. If something needs to be done, do it. Quit complaining. That's not my job. Well, uh, lots of things. You know, you know, dying for the sins of the world wasn't it wasn't the job of the second person of the triune Godhead. The point is, is that he chose to do it. Why? Love. Um, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do it. He freely chose it. He took on the ultimate responsibility for all of the sins of the entire world. Chose it. There's a problem and I'm going to fix it. And then you can come with me or you cannot. And it's going to be up to you. But I'm fixing this. And he redeemed us. That's the I'm fixing it. And then whether or not you're saved is whether or not you choose to go along with him in that or not. Or if you, you're just going to you're gonna turn your back on him and say, you're not who I thought you were. And this is just, you're asking too much of me. And this is just, this is ridiculous. None of this is my job. 
Why, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? Why in the world is God so good as to give me the chance to have any sort of participation in this at all? That's the question. Not some resentful, whining, you know, estrogen-laced tirade about how I shouldn't have to do any of this. Oh, put down the video game controller, man up, and if, you, if you're not going to do that, then shut up. Uh, there's a lot of us out here, and I think I think enough people out there know exactly who it is that I'm talking about here. I'm not going to say the name, but you all know who I'm talking about, and it's it's getting to be really, really tiresome. If you're if you don't want to do anything about it, if you don't want to contribute, if you don't want to be a player in this amazing opportunity, that's fine. Shut up and stay the hell out of the way of those of us who do want to take advantage of this opportunity and those of us who do want to be as close as we can possibly be to our Lord and our Lady in the beatific vision. And that's all I have to say about that. I think that's a good place to wrap up the podcast. Um, I, I in, in my initial podcast wrap-up notes, I, I usually lament that I didn't have anything in terms of good news for wrapping up the podcast, but what what possibly could be better news than talking about the fact that we have the opportunity right now to to be among the greatest saints of the church, the yep. saints that Teresa of Avila envied in in a holy sense that uh-huh. she didn't have enough to suffer and think go read her life if you think that's um, a joke. Yeah. Uh, she had a lot to suffer and she still envied the saints at the end times because they were going to get the opportunity to suffer a whole lot more. And yeah, Albert Pike's talk, um, I, I suspect that is preternaturally illuminated. Um, whether it's in our lifetimes, like Anna and Mai's lifetimes, or your lifetimes if you're younger than us, um, who knows? That's up to God to figure out but uh or for god to dispose but we we know the the outcome that's why i was talking about the what if you could go back to july of 97 and bet your life savings on apple stock which still hasn't gone down historically except that rather than just say hey take my word for it uh because i came from the future we actually have god's word this is how it ends (laughs) exactly so yeah, it's definitely a happy way to end the podcast. The email address of the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, other happy news, suggestions, or questions for a future Ask In uh, episode. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors and at least one Mass every single day, usually more than one, plus one traditional Catholic Latin Requiem Mass for everybody who died the previous week, which this week includes Chuck Yeager. The first Mm -hmm. man to break the sound barrier, the man who flew among the angels, so to speak. Oh, and and also Monsignor Sozman died this week. I don't know who that is. That is, he's a trad priest who who was the guy who kept the Latin mass going for the last, I don't know, 15 years or so at St. Peter's Basilica. He was reliably the priest who said the very early, either 6.30 or 7 a.m. mass in St. Peter's for a long time. He was only 57 and they put COVID on his death certificate. So he did pass this this uh, previous week. Well, I'm I'm... I, a tongue-in-cheek said Chuck Yeager flew with the angels, but this priest definitely is is more qualified of, of that title and that appellation. So, uh, yes, Our Lady Queen of the Angels, please pray for them, and please take a moment to please please pray for all the priests, uh, not just the priests who are offering these masses for the benefactors, but all priests. Um, I try to come up with a different way of saying this every time, but because I can't underscore enough. Mm-hmm. 
they don't need us as much as we need them. Mm-hmm. And Satan has them marked. Like we read from from uh, the quote of Albert Pike, they, the, the goal is the destruction of Christianity. And that means yeah. the destruction of the priesthood, the destruction of the mass. No priest, no mass. Yep. And so please pray for them because they're marked. Their time is going to come. At any, any faith, every faithful priest is going to be a martyr at some point. I'm, yep. I'm fully convinced of that. Um, not that it's happy news, but it's it, it's an opportunity for heroic sanctity for them all. But please pray for them that they don't flee for fear of the wolves. Uh-huh. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value, interest, or entertainment uh, in this podcast or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com. Uh, Non-Vinny Mark, the slash donate isn't necessary, but that's okay. I fixed it. Um, I would like to recognize a few donors since the last time we spoke um, back not October 3rd. It was, um, hold on, let me flip the page. It was uh, <laughs> December 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, so via the Postal Service, Richard, and via PayPal, Mary and Michael. And I apologize if I miss somebody. I'll double check my records and get it corrected next time. Uh, thank you very much for all your support. This keeps the podcast going, keeps Ann's website going, um, all the other technical minutia. The Whenever we need different hardware or upgrades or software, that's what this is, is supporting. And I will let you close with the Matthew 1720. Matthew 1720, now more than ever, uh, fourfold, fast, uh, twice a week if you can, obviously pray every day. That um, Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and that the whole Bergoglian anti-Papacy be nullified. That Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living vicar of Christ since April of 2005, that anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that likewise um, Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger repent of whatever he might need to repent of, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and likewise, someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. <laughs>